One more area of excitement. It's, uh, it's a thrill for us as the Calvary Church to see folks who uh, come up through the system, if you will, the ministries here at Calvary, and uh, to grow and to develop and then to go out and be part of our global missions here at Calvary Church. And that is certainly true with Jimmy Simpson. Jimmy, come on up here. We're glad to have Jimmy with us. You, many of you know his brother Josh, who has overseen our junior high ministries for uh, many, many years now, actually. And uh, Jimmy is the, one of the other brothers, and Luke also, uh, of the Simpson family that have been part of the Calvary Church over the years. And we're just excited to see what God has done. It felt like every time Jimmy was home, he was getting another degree from another university, like Harvard, of all places. And so he is well-trained. God has blessed him with that great gift and knowledge that he has been using. He's been involved in ministry over in Asia with OMF and uh, has continued ministry into the future, but perhaps one of the most exciting areas of ministry that he has recently entered into is the ministry of marriage. And so uh, Chloe, right here in the front row, when you stand up, Chloe is his brand new wife. And it's exciting because they had a, a wedding in Korea, a Korean wedding, with all the trimmings of what they do there. And so we're excited for you, seven months a married man. So congratulations. How's it going? All right, good. That's, that's all we need. Is that the right answer? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Shall I invite her up? Anyways, we're glad to have you here, Jimmy, as Thank you bring so God's much. Word to us. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? Great. Well, as Pastor Dave mentioned, my name is Jimmy Simpson, and I served in Asia with OMF International and recently got married. And here we have uh, a beautiful photo. You've seen the real version, but I'll point you to our photo here of Chloe and I, uh, our engagement photo in Korea. And um, it's just so great to be getting married and now coming back to California. We're here for a while now, and I've just got a position at Far East Broadcasting Company, FEBC, and they are a radio broadcasting company to East Asia. So as I'm home here, I'm still involved in what God is doing globally, so it's exciting. And I'm also excited to be here, a part of Calvary, and as Pastor Dave mentioned, I am related to Josh Simpson. It's a little strange to be related to a famous pastor. I remember growing up here, second grade on, going to junior high and high school, and I used to introduce Josh, and they'd say, oh, you're Jimmy's brother. Well, now I come back, and everyone's saying, oh, you're Josh's brother. <laughs> so it's taking a little getting used to, but I'm really glad to see he's being so fruitful in his ministry, and God's blessing it. And we also have two other Simpsons. My sister Heather lives in San Clemente with her family, and my younger brother Luke, who you may have seen last week with the Stronger Together campaign, he was in the back inviting you to participate in the soccer games that play in the gym on Sunday nights. And he also works for Angels Baseball, which sadly they did not make it into the playoffs. But it reminds me of a story my dad likes to tell. And so we were going to New York one time for a family vacation. And so we were checking into the hotel and we met a local New Yorker. And the New Yorker comes over to my father and he says, I noticed that your sons are all here. And uh, what are their names? And so he says, Jimmy, Josh, and Luke. He says, oh, those are Bible names. James, Joshua, and Luke. Well, yes. Are you Christians? Well, yes, we are Christians. And what does James do? Well, James, uh, he's a missionary. Oh, very interesting. Well, how about Joshua? Well, Joshua, he's a pastor. Oh, that's very interesting. And Luke, is he involved in ministry? Oh, Luke, he just works for the angels. <laughs> works for the angels. <laughs> 
And it took a while before my dad explained he works for it. These angels, not these angels. <laughs> and so it's just great to be part of, back, be part of this community again. And uh, so just to go back, um, we're uh, here today, and I'm sharing about an interesting topic. I'm going to be sharing about animism. And before I go on, I want to ask the question, how many of you before today had heard of animism? Okay, actually quite a few of you. Some of you were saying, why is he preaching on animism? And a year ago, when Liz Gold invited me to speak to the world religions class on animism, I thought the same thing. Animism? But actually, when I researched it, when I looked into the Bible, I realized this is something that is very important. This is something that God is teaching us and that God wants us to be aware of. So as I go into it, let me show you a slide here. Animism, it is physical entities possess spiritual essence. Kind of a heavy subject. This is kind of an academic subject. But I wanted to take it a little lighter. So before, I thought I'd ask you this question. How many of you know of someone that believes in astrology? They look in the back of the magazines and the horoscope. I'm a Virgo, I'm a Pisces. So raise your hand if you know of someone that does that. Okay. Raise your hand if you know of someone that says, I have such bad luck. They get in a car accident, I'm so unlucky. Or they lose a board game. So anyone know anyone that says, I'm unlucky? Okay. Maybe in board games especially. Okay. And lastly, how many of you know of someone or have a friend that says, that is superstitious? Raise your hand. I think it should be most of us, especially for my brother with the angels. I think we really wanted them to win, so we probably wore the right clothes. Or a lot of us are superstitious. I think uh, Matt Doan recently wrote an email to uh, the, the, the church here, and he was talking about, he was expressing, he used to say, knock on wood, Right? That expression, what does that mean? Why don't we say, let's pray and hope it happens? But we use these expressions that are very superstitious. So what I want you to do before I move on is turn to the person next to you and just say hello, introduce yourself, but say, what is a common superstition that you know of? Just name one superstition that you're aware of. So introduce yourself and say one. Okay, hopefully you were able to come up with a good superstition that you were able to find. Uh, I'm sure there's many, um, but I thought I would show some on the screen, kind of test your knowledge a little bit. So when you see one on the screen, go ahead and just shout it out what you recognize it. So here are some common superstitions, and especially since it's about Halloween, I thought some that were more Halloween appropriate. But when you recognize it, go ahead, just shout out what you recognize. So here's one. So if a black cat crosses your path, that's bad luck. Four-leaf clover. This one says it's genuine. It's a genuine, not the fake. Some, of, some people are a little confused. You're not supposed to open an umbrella inside. Okay. You got your fortune cookies. You'll be rich. And also on the back, they have your lucky numbers. Find a lucky penny, okay? I think I need to find a lucky dollar. <laughs> okay, my parents couldn't get this one. Maybe it's a little tricky. 
Broken mirror, broken mirror, seven years bad luck. Knock on wood, right. Cross your fingers. I think it has two meanings, one for good luck, one when you tell a lie. I'm not sure how those two are different. Okay. Walking under an, uh, a ladder. Now, I'll just, this is the 13th floor in an elevator, no 13th floor. I'll just tell a side. When I lived in Asia, the fourth floor was the bad one because four sounds like death. So four and death sound the same. So the telephone numbers, 444-444 is the cheapest. So I said, sure, just give me that one. <laughs> okay, here we have what? Rabbit's foot. And I love the quote at the bottom. Can you read it? A lucky rabbit's foot come from unlucky rabbits. And this is for the scary movies. Friday the 13th. But I love the quote on the side. Friday the 13th, well, at least it's Friday. And this one is for Eric Wakeling. Last couple sermons, he talked about this. Sending good vibes your way. He says, why do people say this? So we don't want to be just sending good vibes. We want to be praying for each other. So these are some of the superstitions that are common in, even in America. So I hope even though we may not use the words like animism, we can see that some of these spiritual things are present even in America. So here we have the topic for today, animism, worshiping the created instead of worshiping the creator. And that comes in our passage today, Romans 1, 21 through 25. But before we go into that, I wanted to give a little more background into what is animism. And in the Latin, animism comes from the word breath or wind or life and soul. So even in the Old Testament we have in Genesis 2-7 that your breath was kind of like your life. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. So you can see that animism gets this root word anima or life. So it is giving life to physical objects. Also we have the word animate to give life to something or animation. You give life to a picture. And Chloe and I were big fans of Disneyland. We love Disney. So my favorite animator is Walt Disney. And so I have a picture of Walt Disney bringing life to Alice here. He's drawing the picture. Through animation, you bring life, right? So animism, what is the definition? Here, oh, sorry, before I go on, there's one more Disney. Um, there is a Disney film I wanted to show. It is from Pocahontas, and it gives a better explanation of what animism actually is. So why don't we show that really quick? I'm having this dream, and I think it's... Oh, a dream. Let's hear all about it. Quiet! <laughs> now, child, you were saying... Well, I'm running through the woods... And then right there in front of me is an arrow. As I look at it, it starts to spin. A spinning arrow? How unusual. Yes, it spins faster and faster and faster until suddenly it stops. Hmm. Well, it seems to me this spinning arrow is pointing you down your path. But Grandmother Willow, what is my path? How am I ever going to find it? <laughs> Your mother asked me the very same question. She did? What did you tell her? I told her to listen. 
All around you are spirits, child. They live in the earth, the water, the sky. If you listen, they will guide you. I hear the wind. Yes. What is it telling you? I don't understand. Okay, so I think some of you are waiting for the song to come in. You were maybe a little excited. But Grandmother Willow, she's giving the wisdom that all around you are spirits, child. They live in the earth, in the water, in the sky. If you listen, they will guide you. That is probably the best definition of animism, right? That there are spirits in these physical objects and you, they can guide you. If you control or manipulate them, they can help you. They can give you power. And if you think maybe Disney's a little too cutesy, we can go on to some other blockbuster movies that talk about animism. How about Avatar? Okay, this was another film that had a very strong message of animism. Or even, how about this film? Star Wars, May the Force Be With You. So I think we don't recognize it, but a lot of these films actually have a strong message about spiritual animism. So here's the definition. What is animism? Animism is a worldview which assumes physical objects contain spiritual power which can be controlled or manipulated through ritual. Let me say that one more time. Animism is a worldview which assumes physical objects contain spiritual power which can be controlled or manipulated through rituals. Okay? Now, some of you would say, I've never seen an animistic church or never read animistic scriptures. But an animist essentially wants these five things. So let's see, what do animists want? First of all, they want power. They seek to control the spirits in order to gain power. They want prosperity. Okay? They want blessing. So this can go from anything from their work. They could be in a tribe. They want to catch more fish. They want to get uh, hunt more. Or it could be a CEO that wants to get an extra $10 million. It's trying to control the spirits to get favor. It could be in relationships, finding a wife, getting a um, better marriage. It could be in health. Uh, it could be a rain dance. It could be many of these things, seeking to have prosperity. But it could also be about protection. And the interesting thing about protection is it could be protection against your enemies, but it's also protection against the evil spirits. There's a belief there's evil spirits that are trying to get you. So it's this balance of the good and evil that they're trying to be aware of. Also, you may notice this word pragmatic, and it just basically means they're trying to use the spirits. It's not about relationship. Unlike Christianity, where we seek to be in relationship with God, we seek to be the adopted children of God, we seek to be uh, it, uh, having this love relationship with God, animism is nothing more, how can I control the gods to get what I want? It's putting yourself at the center. Okay? So pragmatic, utilitarian, it's very self-centered. And animism is very present. It's not eternal focused. So it's not about salvation. How can I get salvation? How can I go to heaven? It's how can I get what I want right now? So you can see that animism is a very much controlling or manipulating the spirits to get power. Now, why should we study this? I've mentioned all these things. I've shown a video clip. But why is it important? Why am I here on stage? I know it's world religions. I know it's important. But there's a real important for us as the church to be aware of it. So let me put this up. Why should we study it? We need to be aware of it because we should be sharing the gospel. 
As we share the gospel, we need to better understand and be equipped to share the gospel with those who are unreached. For those that are unreached, it is estimated that 135 million are tribal animists, meaning they're tribes, they're folk religions. And then 1.9 billion come from a religion that is based in animism, like Hinduism or Buddhism. So right there you have about 2 billion that are based in animism. And there's also some people that estimate if you include things like folk Christianity, folk Islam, it could be anywhere from 40% of our world's population that has animistic thinking in their religion. Why should we study animism? We also need to be aware of how to respond to pluralism. How many of you have heard the expression, all roads lead to Rome? You've heard that. And then they kind of use that same logic to say, well, all faiths lead to God, right? But is Jesus the only way? I've even heard it. some people in churches will say, well, I believe in Jesus, but it's okay if you believe something else. Or There's, it's, it's true for me, but it's not true for you. So that's relativism. That's pluralism. So the question is, do all faiths lead to God? Or is Jesus the only way? How many of you have seen this bumper sticker? You've seen it? Okay. Now, coexist. I know we should coexist, of course. The Bible says we're supposed to love our enemies. We're supposed to pray for them, of course. But this, the problem with this is it's saying all of them are equally true. All of them are equally valid. But if we say Jesus is the only way, there's a problem. And the problem is they contradict. They can't all be true. All these religions have a problem. And it's especially a problem for those of us that claim to be Christians because at the bottom it has John 14, 6. And for those of us that say, I follow Jesus, we might want to look at what Jesus actually said. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus didn't say, I'm one of the ways. I'm one of the truths. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I know some of you here today may not be Christians. And I know some of you today, uh, this may be your first time into church. But I hope that you may think, perhaps Jesus isn't just a good teacher. That Jesus really did come to save. And Jesus really is the Messiah. And for those of you that are Christians, I hope that this would inspire you to say, well, wow, Jesus is the only way. I should be inspired to share that with my friends, my families, and yes, even my enemies. And so Acts points us to this, Acts 4.12, And there is no salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men, which we must be saved. So really there is this good news that we have. It's good news. There's salvation. There's hope. And we should be sharing that with people. I often tell my friends, imagine there was a bank on the corner that was giving $1,000 to every person. And I told my wife, but I say, I'm not going to tell Pastor Dave. I'm going to tell my wife, there's a bank giving away $1,000 to each person. So she gets $1,000, but I don't want to tell Pastor Dave. So he doesn't get $1,000. He comes up to me. I'm really angry. You didn't tell me. The bank was giving free $3,000. I shared the good news with, him, with her, but not with him. Why am I not sharing the good news with everyone? We should share it with our friends. We should share it with everyone. So similarly, if we believe Jesus is the good news, we should really share it with everyone. And going back to what was said earlier, The passage of the good news is that we need to be able to share it. So in Romans 10, 14 through 15, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? 
And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? And we are all sent, okay? The Great Commission, we are all sent. Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of good things. Let us be the people who bring the good news of Jesus Christ to our friends, family, and even to strangers. I'm now working for an organization called Far East Broadcasting Company, FEBC. Some of you may have known of it. It's 70 years old. And this is a new ad we're posting. I really like it. I'm going to Urbana with Chloe. It's a mission conference in right after Christmas. And I'm hoping this will catch their eyes because it really speaks to college students. 70 years ago, a 21-year-old had a vision to share the gospel with every single person in Asia. And they're setting up radio stations, radio towers in many of the countries in Asia to broadcast the good news with people because they need to hear it because there is hope in the gospel. And just like you here, there's many ways for us to be involved in the good news. And we need to share it. There's another reason, though, why we need to study animism. And it's not just so that we can send the good news out. The problem is animism is creeping in. And this is very dangerous. We need to prevent animism from creeping in to our faith. Maybe you know that the, uh, the Pope came to the U.S. recently and there was a uh, congressman, Bob Brady, that saw that the Pope was drinking water, similar to mine right here. And after the Pope was done, the, con- uh, the congressman grabbed the water and took it. He drank from it, gave it to his wife to drink, and saved it. And he said, this is holy water. Whatever the Pope touches is blessed. You can't tell me otherwise. He took it home. He's going to sprinkle it over his grandchildren. Okay? Now, is this... Christianity, this is folk Christianity. This is animism. It is controlling the spirits to gain favor. Now, of course, many of you think this might be, oh, this is funny, this wouldn't happen here. But let me tell you something that is creeping into evangelical churches. The prosperity gospel, the health and wealth gospel. It is the belief that if I'm a good person, if I pray enough, if I go to church every Sunday, if I wake up at 5 a.m. and pray, God will make me rich and I'll live to be 110. I won't get sick. And this is not in the Bible. I look at Paul. One of my spiritual heroes is Paul, and he's always in prison. He's not having a good life. And so I just see that this is not what Jesus is telling us. He's telling us to take up our cross. He's telling us to serve him. Also, it is treating God not like our master. It is treating God like Santa Claus. If I'm good, I get a present. If I'm bad, I get coal in my stocking. Don't treat God like a genie in a bottle. Don't treat God like Santa Claus. It's treating him like the animists would treat him, manipulating the spirits in order to get what we want. It's not having a relationship with God. It's pragmatic. It's not focused on eternity. It's only focused on the temporary. And also, it goes against Scripture. In Matthew 6, 19 19 through 21, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal... But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And moving on, why should we study animism? In today's passage, God is giving us a warning. So let's turn in our Bibles to Romans 1, 21 through 25. In your back of your you should have your Bible there. It's also printed on your bulletin. And God is giving us a warning. He is saying, worship the creator, not the created. Worship the creator, not the created. 
In your Bible, it should be page 119, if it is the NASB in your back of your pew. Romans 1, 21, and here I'll put it on the screen as well. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. God is giving us a warning here. He is telling us, worship the creator, not the created. Now, is this to say the created things are bad? Of course not. God created them. They are good. But we should not be putting anything above God. When we put something above God, that's called idolatry. Idolatry in Exodus 20, 3 through 4, he says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven, above or on the earth, beneath or in water, under the earth. The problem with idols is that they're a cheap imitation. I don't know if you've gone shopping and seen fakes or cheaps. When I went to Asia, I would often see fake Rolexes. And they look just like the real thing. And I actually, to be honest, I bought one and I had it. I was like, I got a fake Rolex. And then two days later, it stopped working. Okay. So you have these cheap imitations. They may look good, but they don't last. They're not the real thing. Don't be fooled. You need to recognize the fakes. So here you have cheap imitations. In Psalm 135, 15 through 18, the idols of the nations are but silver and gold. The work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath at all in their mouths. Remember, animism is about breath, about life. There is no breath at all in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them. Yes, everyone who trusts them. If you trust in these idols, you will be like them. You will have no life. But some of you say, I don't have any idols. I don't have a gold statue on my shelf. I don't have a silver statue on my my desk. So let me talk a little bit about what idolatry means to uh, another pastor's perspective. Tim Keller, a pastor of Redeemer Church in New York, he gives a book called Counterfeit Gods. And in this book, he gives a message of what idolatry means. It doesn't have to be a statue, carved images. Instead, he says, what is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Essentially, you're replacing something with God. He goes on to say, an idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll, if I have that in my life, then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. He goes on to say even more. 
There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but the best one is worship. When we say, I need this in my life, I have to have that, you are worshiping that thing. I have a question that I asked myself. I went to a sermon a while ago, and the pastor encouraged me to ask, is Christ your Lord? Is Christ your Lord? I often say, Lord, but I didn't think about it. Lord means master. Is Christ your Lord? You can say, yes, Lord, but you can't say, no, Lord. I know this sounds a little strange, but you can say, yes, Lord, but you can't say, no, Lord. No and Lord are contradictions. You can't say no to your master. Once you say no to your Lord, he's no longer your Lord. Okay? Once you say no to your Lord, he is no longer your Lord. Hudson Taylor, the founder of OMF International, said, Christ is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Christ is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Is Christ the Lord of your life? What are my idols? Now, let me get a glass of water here. Don't worry, it's not blessed. Okay. Um, so what are my idols? Um, let me just share a little bit. Um, I do have idols, and for me, uh, I realize that my idols, um, there's a lot of them, but I'll just share one of them. One of them I found out when I was sitting in this church when I was in high school, and we used to sing the hymn, Take my life and let it be, consecrated Lord to thee. And then came the stanza, Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. And I said, No, Lord. <laughs> Take my money, not a penny would I withhold. And I couldn't sing that part. God, I'll give you my 20, I'll give you my 100, but I'm, I can't give you my everything. I can't give you all my money. I couldn't trust God with all my money. And I realized at that moment, moment that money was my idol. Another thing later I realized that prestige was my idol. Even as I went on the mission field, I still wanted to be important. I still wanted people to say, that guy is special, that guy is smart, that guy is unique. And I wanted people to remember me. And I read a book by Patrick Fung, the international director of OMF International. And the booklet is called Live to be Forgotten so that Christ can be remembered. When we try to live to be remembered, we're putting ourselves first. Instead, I realized as a missionary, I don't want people to remember Jimmy. I want people to remember Christ. And I was putting myself first. And so for me, my idols are money and prestige. And so today, I've given you a piece of white paper, and I've written down my idols on it, and I've written down prestige and money. And so now, instead of a group time, I want you to have personal reflection time. I've written some questions here. It's kind of a unique time, but just between you and God, I want you to ask these questions. Look at this white piece of paper and write down what are the idols that you have allowed into your life? Is there a place you try to find your complete fulfillment, complete security, and complete identity outside of God? Is there anything to which you are saying no, Lord, to? Go ahead and take one minute and write down the idol or idols on this piece of paper. It could be power. It could be money. It could be sex. It could be relationships. It could be many things. So just between you and the Lord, go ahead and write that down.
And I won't be collecting these, don't worry, I'm not going to look at them. You'll have some more time to maybe reflect on that later, but given the time, I'm going to move on. But as we look at these things, I want you to remember we need to worship the Creator, not the created. So as we've written these things down, what do we do with it now that we know these are my idols? We need to throw these idols away. We need to throw them away. And as we looked at the warning in Romans 1, each of these five verses give us some insight into what we need to do. So let's look again at Romans 1, 21 through 25. So go ahead and take a look at your outline or in the passage. The first one, T, thanksgiving. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him or give him thanks. How can we avoid letting idolatry into our lives? We need to give thanks to God, recognize him as the true God, recognize him as the creator. So that's the first step, is thanking God and recognizing who He is. The second one is humility, verse 22. They became futile in their speculations because they were foolish in their hearts, because they professed to be wise. They thought they were wise. So here we have one of my favorite verses. My grandmother always used to tell it to me. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. This is so important, to have humility, to recognize that in our foolish wisdom, we will not understand, but if we trust in God, we will know true wisdom in him. And as I mentioned, our recognition. We need to recognize the fakes. It says here in verse 23, they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the image of of corruptible man. They took a real Rolex and they got a fake Rolex instead. We don't want to exchange the true God for incorruptible man, for images of fake things. Don't give up the true God for idols, okay? So recognize the fakes, recognition of who is the true God, recognizing that we have fakes in our life and that we need to get rid of them. Moving on to obedience. We need to have obedience. We need to say, yes, Lord. Don't say, no, Lord. Say, repent from sin and turn to God. And lastly, worship. We need to worship God. Worship the true God. They exchange the truth of God for a lie, but we need to turn to the truth that God is the creator and that he is to be worshipped. Lastly, I want you to crumple up these papers and at the end, there'll be trash cans at the end. We are to throw these away. These are idols. We need to throw these idols away. Throw them away at the back. But that's not enough, because these idols will come back into your life. And so what I want you to do is listen to these words. We need to throw the idols away, but replace it with Jesus Christ. Tim Keller says this, and I'm going to close with this. The only way to free ourselves from the destructive influence of counterfeit gods is to turn back to the true one, the living God, who revealed himself both at Mount Sinai and on the cross, is the only Lord who, if you find him, can truly fulfill you, And if you fail him, can truly forgive you. Thank you so much.